possible uh, debt that has been accumulated over the past uh, few years. So um, I think we do have a window. Um, I think uh, the, uh, there is a certain amount of urgency for emerging market economy to try to normalize their uh, eco- uh, markets and economies uh, uh, to prepare uh, for what's to come, uh, probably second half of next year. Okay, Peter, always good to talk to you. Sadly, we've run out of t- of time. Thanks very much. That's Peter Kim, Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In South Korea right now, the Cosby is up 0.6%, reflecting a general positive trend across Asian markets. The SX200 in Australia is up one and uh, is sorry, up half a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan up one and a quarter percent. Futures markets indicating a rise of 0.6% for the Hang Seng at the open. And in the commodities markets, gold is at $1,870 an ounce. And Brent crude oil also rising at $69.66 a barrel. There's no Money Talk tomorrow, as it's a public holiday here in Hong Kong. Money Talk will return on Thursday, but I'll still be here on Radio 3 from 6 to 10 a.m. for a special holiday show of music and chat, so please join me for that if you can. Back Chat is coming up after the news with uh, Hugh Chiverton and Ada Wong this morning. The weather forecast, hot with sunny periods and a few showers. Isolated thunderstorms at first. Maximum temperature around 32 degrees and then very hot with sunny periods in the next couple of days. There is a thunderstorm warning in force. Right now it's 29 degrees, 86% relative humidity. It's coming up to 8.32. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. President Biden has voiced his support for a ceasefire after eight days of violence between Israel and Palestinian militants in Gaza. During a phone call to the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Mr Biden said the US was working with Egypt and others towards halting hostilities. Since the violence began, 200 people have been killed in Gaza while 10 have died in Israel. Earlier, the US again blocked a UN Security Council statement calling for a cessation of violence, saying it was instead working behind the scenes to achieve results. Results. Here's the White House spokeswoman Jen Psaki. Our calculation at this point is that having those conversations behind the scenes, uh, weighing in with our important strategic partnership we have with Israel, also with other countries in the region, is the most constructive approach we can take. So our approach is through quiet, intensive diplomacy, uh, and that's where we feel we can be most effective. The United States has announced an increase in the number of coronavirus vaccines it'll send abroad as warnings continue about a lack of supplies for poorer countries. President Biden said 20 million doses approved for use in the U.S. would be shared by the end of June. That's in addition to a stockpile of 60 million doses of the AstraZeneca jab. Mr Biden said the U.S. wouldn't be safe until the virus was under control globally. We will not use our vaccines to secure favors from other countries. We'll work with COVAX, the international organization set up, and other partners to ensure that the vaccines are delivered in a way that is equitable and that follows the science and the public health data. The Indian state of Gujarat is being pummeled by the most powerful storm in the area for decades. About 200,000 people were evacuated from its path. Cyclone Tokte travelled along India's west coast with wind gusts of up to 200 kilometres an hour. At least 20 people have died as the storm uprooted trees and tore off roofs. Roxy Matthew Cole is from the Indian Institute of Tropical Meteorology. 
This is the first extremely severe cyclone to come so close to Mumbai since 1891. At its peak, it was about 220 kilometers per hour wind speed. It's a combination of extremely severe winds along with heavy rainfall and also storm surges pushing a lot of water inside. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton and your co-host today is Ada Wong. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today we're talking about LGBT communities in Hong Kong, homophobia and bus fares. Yesterday was the International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia and Biphobia, a day that aims to coordinate the international events, raising awareness of LGBT rights violations and stimulate interest in LGBT rights worldwide. Locally, according to a recent Chinese university study, 76% of local Local transgender respondents say they have faced rejection in different dimensions of social life, with 62% saying they experienced victimization. Well, what's the situation like now for LGBTQ communities in, in Hong Kong? And what about feminists like J.K. Rowling, who are concerned about preserving safe spaces for women and who are skeptical about too easy gender recognition plans? Are they transphobic? After 9.15, we're going to be discussing bus fares. Four bus operators have been allowed to raise fares this year, but it's one company says they need to rewrite the rule book and change the way fares are set. What's your take? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave our, you leave your comments as ever on our Facebook page. That's Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us on 233-88266. That's 233-88266. Uh, as ever, we've got some uh, emails relating to uh, earlier discussions. Let's just uh, maybe air one of them. Uh, so we were talking yesterday about uh, COVID issues and also about Israel and Palestine. We've got thoughts uh, on both of those. Here's just one from uh, Andy, though, uh, who says, uh, I was listening this morning uh, while driving to a hospital, that's from yesterday, for a follow-up. Thought about calling but felt strongly people should be vaccinated and didn't want to be used as an excuse. Why not? Uh, 54, no underlying health issues, healthy, fit, if a bit overweight, non-drinker, non-smoker, no history of migraines. I had a Biontech jab mid-April and was hospitalised about three weeks later with recurrent headaches and 39-degree fever. Tested for everything under the sun, nothing positive, which leaves a sort of possible reaction to the vaccine by a process of elimination only. My question would generally be, how do you confirm vaccine reaction? My experience is you can't get a doctor to actually say it. Second question, what should I do? I'm COVID negative and have COVID antibodies, two of the myriad of tests done, but I am not fully vaccinated. Any policies by government are going to be cut and dried. If fully vaccinated, A. If not fully vaccinated, B. I am squarely in the middle. That comes uh, from Andy, a plea there from uh, Andy. Thanks very much indeed uh, for that. As I say, we've got some other emails and uh, thoughts, which we'll get to um, a little bit later. Joining us for our main discussion today, we have with us now Benita Chick. She's the founder and CEO of uh, Encompass Hong Kong, a social enterprise offering training and consultancy services to educate and support organisations to be more diversified and inclusive. In our central studio is Michael Vidler, uh, senior part with Vidler & Co, uh, solicitors, and uh, Brenda Allegre joins us on the line, lecturer in the Gender Studies Programme in the School of Humanities at the University of Hong Kong. Once again, our email address is backchat.rthk.hk. Uh, Benita Chick, maybe we start with you. Good morning. Good morning. Nice to talk to you again. Um, uh, when it comes to uh, the homophobia in Hong Kong, how do you think we're doing at the moment? What's the sort of general picture at the moment now in 2021? 
Uh, I think, uh, I mean, and there's been research by the Dr. Chen Yudong, I think general acceptance is uh, a lot uh, bigger, but I I mean, I always think homophobia in Hong Kong is also like a, a class issue and an industry-specific issue. If you work in the, like the teaching sector as a, uh, uh, as a secondary school teacher, it may be a little bit more difficult. Uh, and also like in terms of your uh, uh, profession as well. So if you're a lawyer, a banker, a lot of the MNCs now are, are very LGBT-friendly. But if you are in uh, maybe uh, another profession maybe blue collar. I think there's still a lot of uh, misunderstanding but I think in general attitude and especially young people uh, I think are very uh, uh, acceptive of LGBT community Are, are there out gay teachers in, in Hong Kong? I mean, in, I'm sure in, I, I, in I government know, schools? I, I'm sure I know a few in local school but in general uh, I have a few friends who teach in local school. Uh, they think it's better for them to not come out because of the fear of, of, of parents and what they think. If you teach in international school that's easier. If you teach in university easier but i think still uh, local school i still think is is a bit challenging yeah and and why is that you think the main reason is I, I the lack the, of public education i think the parents have uh, some parents are still that have stereotyped that if the teacher is homosexual it will affect the job performance or they will somehow like i don't know like uh, have harassed their the children or whatever i uh, and uh, like yeah, I, th- I think there's just a lot of misunderstanding in the education sector for, for that. And in general, and going back to the education, I think in Hong Kong also the sex education uh, is uh, still very lacking. Uh, and, and that is also uh, awareness of gender diversity, uh, awareness of uh, that maybe there are some students, young students who are transitioning or have queer tendency and that is not being discussed. Whereas I do quite a bit of uh, community outreach work in the university level. And I think in the university level, it's a lot more open to talk about sexuality. But in high school, local high school, I think in general, it's still very limited. Yeah. And, and how do we compare with international cities in Asia, for example, like Singapore, mm. Taipei? Are they slightly better? Uh, I, I think Taiwan definitely is a lot better in terms, the whole, in terms of the whole culture of talking about LGBT and now given that they have the same-sex marriage. Uh, with regard to Singapore, uh, interesting situation because in Singapore, uh, uh, technically, they still uh, criminalize uh, uh, homosexual f- behavior. So in terms of rights, they don't have as much as Hong Kong. But I was just listening to another uh, webinar last night uh, about uh, the cases of LGBT in, LGBT, uh, in, in, in Singapore. And some people said the lived experience is not very very bad. Like in, on a day-to-day interaction, they don't feel a lot of discrimination, harassment. But if you look at more on a rights issue, like same-sex benefits, uh, marriage or inheritance rights, then I think Hong Kong is a bit better than Singapore. Yeah. Is that true in, in, in Hong Kong that uh, we can talk about the legal aspects in a moment, yeah. but, but uh, in terms of kind of formal discrimination, there isn't too much of it, but the, I don't know what the lived experience, would, how that would be different. I, I think um, very overt discrimination, uh, I think, uh, and I'm sure Michael has some other th- thoughts on that. Uh, I, I think it's not that much, but I think this term called microaggression, like people very subtly, uh, maybe um, they will make jokes of you or they will have certain stereotypes of you and I'm sure and in one case uh, I think maybe Brenda can comment on that later uh, recently there is uh, uh, a transgender woman uh, who want to uh, try out a woman underwear in one of the lingerie brand and uh, she 
she was asked to uh, 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 went to try try it under on, and then the shop manager said, "Oh, the shop is closed. You you uh, you you do uh, you try it on at home and 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 and, and come back later." And uh, what she found out was because the shop manager suspect that she's not actually a woman, then she he uh, he denied her rights. So when she showed her ID, which she already did the uh, uh, surgery and she has a gender uh, her gender as female, then the shop man- manager still refused. Uh, I think that shows that I think uh, some in the community, and especially I think uh, the frontline staff in terms of hospitality or, or uh, retail, they can be a little bit more sensitive of the different clients and their needs. Uh, so uh, it's an unfortunate incident, but hopefully I, I think this will also spark some discussion on how we can be more inclusive in our language or be more aware of people with different gender identity. And there's also this concept of uh, non-binary now in, in, in or gender fluid in the LGBT community. So uh, 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 male or female who dresses maybe uh, not according to the to 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 the gender uh and then they're very fluid and so how do we uh, address these people in terms of pronoun in terms of behavior so i think yeah there's a lot of interesting discussion there yeah is that i mean like the question of pronouns i yeah. know in some places that's that's almost becoming kind of standard is mm. is checking pronouns or asking your preferred pronouns i've seen it a little bit in hong kong what's your experience do you think it's it's spreading uh, I think in some of the MNCs that I have worked with, I think that uh, it's very uh, common now for people who put the signature of uh, he, her, uh, him, they in the pronoun to make it more explicit. Um, in other areas, uh, for example, in other professions, uh, I think uh, maybe health, uh, healthcare, or in education, uh, is still not common. But I, I also do a lot of this type of uh, inclusion training with university. I think that is something that the professor can really do uh, when they first address like uh, students in a class and ask, "Oh, what's your preferred pronoun? Or you prefer not to use a pronoun? Or prefer how you de- be, how you want to be called?" I think that's definitely a lot more education can be can be done done with that. And even uh, I myself is on that on, on working on this area. I still get it wrong sometimes. Uh, I think it's just mm-hmm. a very uh, uh, easy uh, to have a confusion. And if you get it wrong and people feel offended, I think you just need to own it and and, and apologize uh, for that. Yeah. Old habits die. Yeah, hard, I, I think yeah. there's a very big gap of yeah. uh, understanding uh, yeah. between the international community yeah. and the local community. Yeah. In the international national community I, I think um, I think you know that there is a acknowledgement mm. um, of this gender fluidity mm. somehow mm. but um, in in local communities I have not seen a, a good example anywhere have you uh, well our, our common friend Silfong uh, I think uh, do quite a bit of the uh, uh, so just Silfong is a gender fluid body fluid builder he go, he go out to the community and teach people about this gender fluidity but I think yes I, I agree I think in general the awareness in Hong Kong is, is still quite low uh, in terms of inclusive language in terms of pronoun in terms of uh, gender expression um, uh, uh, sexual identity uh, uh, I, yeah uh, I, I would love to see uh, and I used to do uh, youth policy in Hong Kong. I, I, I would love to see that there are more education on that in, in, in the secondary school level so the children are more aware of it. And of course, some of the education also need to be in the community, in, in, in the staff, especially serving customers of, of different backgrounds. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Brenda Allegri, good morning to you. 
morning. Thanks much good indeed. Morning to everyone there. Uh, good morning. Yeah, thanks very much indeed for uh, for, for joining us. Um, going back to the to this uh, survey, uh, which was done by the uh, Chinese University. I know you're 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 at Hong Kong, but the Chinese University survey, which I think is the biggest uh, of its kind, talking to more than two hundred and thirty transgender people uh, in Hong Kong about about their lived experience and 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 their uh, their impressions of uh, of uh, discrimination uh, and so on. Um, what do you think? What do you get from the from that uh, big survey? And, and what do you think are the lessons that we should be uh, addressing uh, going forward? Well, well, the biggest lesson is that there should really be gender recognition um, um, law in Hong Kong and hopefully everywhere else, and that we should also revisit the anti discrimination ordinances. And maybe it it needs some polishing and updating already. Um, and also going beyond the numbers, we hopefully we could find ways to, to look into the narratives because the narratives are more powerful. That is actually where you would actually find the nuances of the experience and how people could probably get further insights into the oppression and into the pains and the struggles that's experienced by transgender people here and gender diverse people here in Hong Kong. Can you share one of those narratives or give us you know a sort of hmm. typical story or whatever? I also had a traumatic experience using a toilet in public, um, you know, where, whereby um, after using um, the toilet, you know, someone suspected you of, of um, um, being a cross-dressing person and that you went into the women's toilet to actually pee or to take photos or videos of women. And then after that, you were being um, asked intrusive questions, you know, such as what have you done to your body? Um, have, do you have a vagina down there? Do you plan to undergo surgery? Are you on hormones? You know, and then um, it most likely um, people's bags and purses and um, cell phones are also being inspected to double check if you've done anything, you've taken photos or videos of women in the toilet or in the changing rooms. So these are the usual experiences of trans uh, people here in Hong Kong. So that's why a lot of trans people are afraid of actually embracing their authentic selves, you know, and afraid of also transitioning or afraid of coming out because out of fear, you know, of, of being policed, uh, literally and uh, uh, figuratively speaking, by the public or by the authorities. Right. Uh, but who would have the authorities to search your back in, in, in a public toilet? Um, w- would they call the police or what? Well, if they, if they have the courage to actually call the police immediately or if there could be already stationed security personnel um, in in a mall or in a place. And sometimes I think it would depend on uh, how hot an issue is. I think some years ago when uh, there were a couple of uh, complaints of um, uh, people who are actually peeping in the changing rooms, I guess, I've heard of that. So I think they've stationed um, security personnel in their toilets. So if that happened to be the case, you know, um, they will call into the security personnel and then they're the ones who are, they'll blend in as regular people. They're not in uniforms. And then they will be the ones to ask you, you know, of, of these intrusive questions and even search your bags and phone without a search warrant. And that's the thing. Maybe culturally people got used to um, um, being asked questions that or being searched without actual legal um, authority to do so. And, and how does Hong Kong compare with uh, other part, other uh, areas in this part of the world, um, like like the Philippines, um, like Taiwan's been mentioned, Thailand, and so on, and the mainland? Well, uh, the legal framework um, is different because um, you could actually use 
the legal aspects in your country to actually justify uh, discrimination if you have anti-discrimination laws or like for example in the Philippines we don't have an anti-discrimination law but we have a more permissive and tolerant culture but it also ends with just tolerance it's still not accepting whereby LGBT people in the Philippines are very visible highly organized and um, kind of living authentically um, but they could not also pursue um, uh, anti-discrimination anti-discrimination um, cases because there is none, no no law that protects us there. And then we couldn't also have same-sex union in the Philippines, unlike in Taiwan. Taiwan there is. So now, even if culturally Taiwan could still, the Taiwan society may still be um, a little bit conservative, let's say, to compare to, let's say, some of the Western counterparts, but they have the law, however, working to their advantage. And then gender recognition law is also a big deal. You know, like, for example, the UK uh, may, society in general may actually have, like, um, different views on towards um, um, trans people, like in J.K. Rowling herself is a turf, you know, a, a, an exclusionary feminist. But you have the gender recognition law that can protect and will recognize trans people. So the law yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, just going. Yeah. So this gender recognition law. I mean, I mean, the the we will we will maybe talk a little bit more about J.K. Rowling and, and her views, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, which is shared by uh, other people um, a, a little bit later. But um, when it comes to gender recognition, one point that once once a thing that she finds objectionable is she, she says that the uh, some of the laws amount to a people uh, a man can declare himself a woman. Uh, and um, uh, and 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 then becomes a woman, and she's not happy with this because she says the experience of uh, of of being a woman is something uh, different historically, and she feels different. And uh, people, especially women who have been victimised in the past, uh, have uh, uh, you know may, you know their views should be taken into account as well. But is this what gender recognition amounts to? Is that is, is that correct that uh, that uh, in some places a man can say? Uh, I'm a woman, and bingo, uh, he is a woman. No, uh, it should not. Um, gender, gender recognition allows people to self-determine uh, themselves in terms of their gender identity and to self-identify in terms of their gender identity because we should have that right to identify um, our, our gender the way that we feel authentic too. Second, um, um, if we actually look at history, so she's talking about history. If we look at history, in pre-colonial times, genderlessness or trans, uh, gender plurality, transcendent genders have already existed in society. You have the two-spirit people of North America. You have the Hitras of South Asia. You have the Babaylans and the Asos of the Philippines. And all of these identities were obliterated and erased during the colonial years. So it has been through colonization that our identities have been suppressed and that we were demonized and pathologized. So that's why gender recognition is supposed to acknowledge, you know, the authentic sense of gender of a person. Okay. Well, here's a, an email from uh, Jim uh, who says, wasn't same-sex behavior illegal in Hong Kong under the British uh, occupation? Uh, yes, that's true, Jim. Uh, and Jim says, personal gender identification is just that, a fad and a personal choice. As an individual, I have my personal right not to recognize such behavior. I respect people, not fads. That comes from Jim. What would you say to Jim? Well, it's not a fad. It's not a lifestyle. It's a lived experience. And it's something that you don't recognize because maybe you lack empathy. Maybe you don't know someone who you're not willing to accept someone who is trans, you know, maybe because you've accepted the colonial ideas 
you know, of because maybe that's your mindset. You know, you like to to colonize someone else's identity also. Um, Brenda, um, does a champion help? For example, in Taiwan, there is Audrey Tang, uh, who is the first transgender cabinet member, and so uh-huh. he seems to be like a champion, or she seems to be like a champion. Does that help? It does because uh, uh, so you have Audrey in the Philippines. You also have Geraldine uh, Roman in New Zealand. Many years ago, you have Georgina Bayer. Um, it does help because it, it reminds us that. Uh, we can actually assume such positions and also serve the people. We're capable of doing that. And um, uh, it, it's just that an opportunity, you know, has to be uh, allowed, you know, for trans people, gender diverse, LGBT people in general to actually serve its nation. Michael Vidler, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much indeed for, for, for joining us. Uh, well, you know, how are we progressing on the legal front? Uh, I think there was uh, a case, wasn't there, a couple of years ago that we went to judicial review over the question of, of uh, uh, gender identity in surgery and the need, whether, whether a person had to have the surgery. And uh, In the end, the court decided basically that they did have to have a surgery if they wanted to change sex. Is that right? And, yep. and have we moved or changed anything? Anything happened after that? Um, Well, that case dates back to the um, W decision when the court um, suspended the effect of the judgment for one year with the the idea that the government should introduce gender identity legislation in that year to solve the very problems that this case now is litigating. Um, Regrettably, the government didn't do that, and all they did was set up this interdepartmental um, working group, which... formed a consultation and then did nothing. Uh, and we haven't heard anything since in the, I think it's seven years since it was uh, set up. Um, so this case was filed um, to chivy the government along to determine, look, w- what stage should someone be recognised in their acquired gender? Um, now, the the court, when we finally got on, the, the, the court did rule um, that the case wasn't made out in the court of first instance, but we have the appeal coming up in September and I fully anticipate it going to the Court of Final Appeal. What would you say to people like J.K. Rowling, who said it should, who basically say it shouldn't be too easy? You shouldn't be able to just uh, a man should not be able to just declare themselves a woman like that. Well, in the UK, you can't just simply declare yourself. That there are processes that you have to go through. Um, but referring to Hong Kong. Um, the process is extraordinary, um, and referring back to the, the survey results, it's, it reads, makes for grim reading. Um, in Hong Kong, you need to not only uh, undergo psychological and psychiatric uh, assessment and live your life uh, uh, in your acquired gender prior to then being accepted to see have, whether you have any surgery. Now, you are required to then undergo the, this is before you're recognised, you are then required to undergo sterilisation surgery and um, surgery to construct... What, what is sterilisation surgery? Well, a hysterectomy for, for uh, biological women and um, removal of the genitals for, for men. And then you have to, in this before you can get recognised in your acquired gender, then you have to... Um, have constructive surgery, so to construct a vagina, to construct a penis, uh, and only then will you be acquired in your in your uh, will you be recognised in your acquired gender. So it is it really touches on issues of medical consent. Um, the the case was founded on um, basic law privacy rights, 
on rights not to be um, subjected to torture, uh, inhuman and cruel and degrading treatment, and discrimination. Um, um, we're confident that we are going to win at the end of the day. Um, and part of the reason why the court determined it was um, the, the third ground, that discrimination wasn't made out, was the, the lack of um, empirical evidence. And so, you know, this survey result is very useful in that regard because we can and we will be citing uh, provisions in the, 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 or the empirical data brought out by the survey. Um, if I can just refer you to what, the survey. What's the survey of people who have undergone surgery or, or both? Or? A combination. Yeah. I'm, what I'm saying is that the, what the surgery did find uh, is that for, because the, all the applicants survey, in yeah. the QR and Henry Tay case, they're all trans men. They are, you know, at birth assigned a female gender. Um, but they lead their lives as men. They all um, have, they've undergone hormonal treatment, so they've all got very deep voices, they've all got facial hair, they've got, you know, a body mass. They, you wouldn't know them from any other uh, male that you came across. Um, now, the surveys revealed that not a single respondent of all the respondents in the survey who is a, um, a trans man or associated to be a trans man, not one had undergone the surgery the constructive surgery, which translates to not a single trans man in the survey had been recognised in the required gender, which again translates to those men, for all intents and purposes, attending, going into buildings, going to get, uh, accessing their bank accounts, accessing public services, entering into contracts for things like cable TV or phones or internet service providers. All of them will be presenting an ID card which is not consistent with their acquired gender, what, how they present themselves. So you can imagine the, the times in which they are confronted and they face discrimination. And this is, again, brought out in the survey with the experiences that trans people have at immigration control, where they're taken aside, they're questioned, why is it you've got this? So this, this is a, there is an urgent need to address this because this is... We all know how often we use ID cards and when we're required to show them. So every single time these people are presented like this in this situation, they face that agonising sure. situation. We've got a break for the, for the news. Uh, hold that thought. I'll be back in, in just a moment. Uh, the weather hot with sunny periods and a few showers and some thunderstorms around at first. There's a thunderstorm warning at the moment, uh, effective, uh, and 29 degrees and relative humidity of 79%. Uh, Affirmed a woman's constitutional right to seek a termination prior to viability. The six Conservative and three Liberal Justices will begin hearing the case towards the end of the year. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Tuesday morning. We're talking about uh, homophobia uh, in Hong Kong, homophobia, transphobia and uh, biphobia. Yesterday was the uh, international day uh, against those uh, phenomena. So we were exploring the situation uh, now in Hong Kong. We have with us Brenda Allegro, a lecturer in the Gender Studies Programme at the School of Humanities at the University of Hong Kong. Michael Vidler, a senior partner in Vidler & Co. Uh, solicitors. And Benita Chick, founder and CEO of uh, Encompass Hong Kong. Later we're going to be 
talking about uh, bus fares. We want to hear from you, of course. Backchat at rthk.hk is our email address. You can call us on 233-88266. Got a, quite a few emails as well on uh, aspects of uh, COVID. We'll put those be- maybe between the two uh, topics today. Uh, once again, uh, email backchat at rthk.hk. Or if you want to talk directly to our guests, then 233-88266 uh, is the uh, number. Just before we get to, the, to those other uh, emails, uh, raising a number of issues... Um, Benita Chick, uh, uh, you know, this, uh, the question of TERFs, mm. trans-exclusionary radical uh, feminists, um, they don't have to be radical feminists. Mm. You, do, you do get uh, people who are, uh, you'd perhaps call feminists uh, and others, who are concerned. They're concerned about, um, uh, they, they say that they are personally very sympathetic uh, towards, uh, and, they, and they wish no harm to uh, transgender individuals, uh, but they are concerned that... Um, uh, the uh, experience of being a woman is is, uh, is special, and they are concerned that uh, men uh, are, may find it uh, too easy mm. uh, to to claim themselves as women and to claim that experience. Mm. Uh, and some would say well, it's it's comparable to uh, a person saying that they are black or changing their race, mm. claiming that they are uh, that they are of another race, whereas people of that race, especially if that person has been described discriminated against that has a history of discrimination may well say um, that's not fair you can't do that uh, and also when it comes to women there are people who uh, there are women who have experienced uh, uh, hurt or discrimination or abuse uh, and they may want safe spaces they may want to be away from from uh, from men uh, and um, they have a right to uh, protection and a right to be in a, in a safe space what they see as a safe space how do you read that? How do you read that situation? Uh, several layer to it. I mm. mean, uh, I guess uh, going back to like the J.K. Rowling's uh, remark, right? Woman who can menstruate, right? And what, what does what does that mean? Can all women menstruate? Like even those who are biological women because of various things? Uh, um, yeah, I, I I think it's a, a, a difficult situation here to have the. Women to have that uh, safe space, they think, and they how how they recognize the trans trans people. Uh, I think Brenda is a better person to ask. Maybe you should ask her for the, for that. You, you don't want to answer. <laughs> I just I, I, I don't have a I don't have a very good angle for this one. Okay, all right, yeah. Brenda Allegri. Um, yeah, mm, because I think uh, I don't know where they are exactly coming from. Because maybe every um, turf or every exclusionary feminist, they're coming from a particular point of experience. Maybe their point of experience was a past um, um, experience of violence with a man, and so they're associating all trans people, you know, are men, you know. But then uh, there are also women who identify as men, you know. There are transgender men. There are gender diverse. Uh, people in between, there are non-binary people. And then, of course, trans women simply see themselves as women. We fight the same fight. You know, we go through the same oppression uh, as women. But the only added layer there is that we are also being oppressed for being tied back to our sex assignment at birth. It's like telling us that our gender will always be uh, referred back to how we were when we were born, you know, what 
birth assigned to us by the doctor? What's the legal uh, indicator in our birth markers or travel documents? Uh, I guess I, I guess the point there would be though that but society has done that, and if you if you if you you know continue the parallel with a with experience of race, uh, somebody who is black, say in, in in the U.S., has had a black experience and has been understood and has been. Uh, lived as a as a black person in the United States, and so if a if a uh, formerly white person becomes a black person or says they identify as a, a, as a black person, then the black person may well say, "But you've, you haven't lived as a as, as a black person, uh, you personally, or even historically, uh, you, you 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 can't tap into that experience." And is, is there's a kind of parallel with gender. <laughs> there's no parallel with gender and race. No. No, I mean, there's no instance of someone saying, OK, I'm now going to give up being white, I'm going to be black. I mean, <laughs> there is... We're talking about different legal statuses. There's no different legal status of a black person and a white person, but there is in relation to someone who is um, male or female. There are different legal responses in relation to that. So I think it's a false, false equivalence. Um, and I, and I think you have to also, um, getting back to the sort of J.K. Rowling analogy, I think you've got to be careful that there's always a conflict with different groups trying to get their message across. So, for instance, at the moment with Israel and, and Palestine, you've got Palestinian activists wanting to push that, that message. And you've also got the idea of the members of the Jewish community, certainly in the UK, um, experiencing anti-Semitism. So you've got these conflicting messages so that if you don't say, oh, that, that's appalling treatment of Palestinian children, then, oh, maybe you're going to be you're, you're anti-Semitic. Or if, you, if, you're, if you're promoting um, uh, you know, recognition of, of the Jewish statehood um, or, or something like that, you are, you are deemed to be anti-Palestinian. So you, you're going to get these conflicts between these sort of groups that want the attention. So, you know... I think it's understandable that there may be feminist groups who are saying, well, look, you know, we've been living this life, we've been experiencing uh, discrimination for, you know, millennia. Um, how come these people who want to acquire gender uh, as a female suddenly get the priority? But there is a difference because there is sex discrimination legislation in Hong Kong that protects against discrimination of, of women from men. But there isn't any gender identity or sexual orientation discrimination um, in Hong Kong um, in a private sphere. Of, so. of, of course, Ms. Villa, you, you know a lot of uh, that there will be people who also say, "Who are you as a man to to define and to lecture us on feminism?" Yeah, you always get that. I mean, you're, how how am I as a straight man supposed to? Why should I litigate cases to do with you know tra trans rights or, or sexual orientation? I do. I'm a lawyer. It doesn't really matter whether I'm, I'm, I'm gay or not gay or straight or whether I'm trans. You, <laughs> you don't need to be uh, in that state to be able to recognise. I don't need to be black to be anti-racist. You know, you can, you can understand, you can, um, the, the law is there to differentiate. So you don't have to be in that, that particular category to be able to then say, well, no, that is wrong. So, um, I mean... Yes, uh, Mr. Vidler, that there is actually a lot of ignorance in, in, in these issues and misunderstanding. Now, if the government uh, were to respond um, on some sort of new policy, maybe falling short of um, uh, gender recognition, 
what um, what what do you think that could look like uh, a new policy or or you won't accept anything like that well, the point is back in 2013 when the court of final appeal suspended the right of W, when it, when it recognised the right of W as a post-operative trans woman to marry in her acquired gender. The court recognised the difficulties that, that the, the, with the existing policy. 2003, it came up with that judgement and it suspended someone's rights for a whole year to allow the government to introduce legislation. It, it made reference to what was going on, what the sort of legislation there was in the US, in the UK, in Europe. And yet, uh, and it did so in the anticipation that, that it really shouldn't be that difficult. It should be something that the government could do within a year. That's why it gave it a year to introduce legislation. The government singularly failed to do that. All it did was set up this interdepartmental uh, working group. And since then, there's been one consultation and not a single peep from that departmental working group since then. So now we've been eight years since the judgment and there's been nothing. So that's why QR and Henry say they filed the case to to say no this is discriminatory. Uh, this this the requirements that we face now are um, akin to torture. This is issues of medical consent. This breaches our basic law rights. And so this is why we've ha had to go back to court, because of the government's failure to introduce anything. All we've got is this archaic system requiring this in incredibly draconian criteria to, to be able to have an ID card. Isn't the, isn't the real problem that, as you say, there was this experience in, in you know, getting a, a tele uh, television subscription or just the day-to-day -day experience of, well, you have to use your gender. But why... Mm. Why bother? Isn't oh. <laughs> I mean, because a, a lot of people, uh, you know, as we, we've been hearing, a lot of people are increasingly identifying as uh, as non-binary. Isn't that the way forward? I, I basically, couldn't, I couldn't why, agree with you more. Why bother? Why do you have to be uh, explain that you're a man or a woman to get a TV exactly. subscription? Exactly. Why? Why is it so important? But you do, and it is there is a gender marker on your ID card. So if you present, you know, if I if I present, what if we didn't have one? Well, would that matter? No. Would it make any difference? Because. Because then no one's going to raise this issue of, oh, well, hang on, uh, you don't look like a man, and, that, and yet the man says on your, your ID card that you're a man. <laughs> you know, um, so, yeah, it begs the question why we're so obsessed with it. Um, you know, it, it goes on to the issue of, you know, toilets. Gender-neutral toilets are not that difficult. I mean, well, I've got a gender-neutral toilet in my office. So what? You know, and it's this whole idea of this fixation on that issue. There, I don't think there's been one single case where a a trans person has been accused of peeping or or sexual assault in a toilet um, against a, a non-trans person. In fact, it's the other way around. You'll find that often the trans person is the one who's who's subjected to assault. And again, the survey findings bring this out. Okay. Uh Okay, well, okay, here's some, here's some comment uh, from listeners. Uh, Rick says, uh, not heard such garbage in many years. The subject of gender isn't a colonial issue, it's in the Bible. Why are you wasting time on this subject? That comes from Rick. I think uh, you'll find it is, because those laws didn't exist before the Victorian laws were brought over from the UK, criminalising homosexuality. 
They were introduced into Hong Kong law by the colonial British administration. They didn't exist before. That's why there's a differentiation between common law jurisdictions like Singapore, Malaysia, UK, and places like Thailand. Um, well, know, the China- Bible is a colonial import <laughs> anyway to, to, yes. to China. All right, uh, uh, Andrew Kay says, can someone explain why the majority of us have to bend to suit the concerns of sexual minority groups? How many of these super sensitive people are there? That comes uh, from uh, Andrew Kay. And uh, Jay says, man was made as man and woman was made as woman. Uh, and that's the way it is. Therefore, I don't want gay subjects taught in schools because it corrupts the mind of the young. There is no problem with gay or transgender people teaching or working, providing they don't influence their ways on the general public. If you're one of those who have a particular prob- people who does have an identity problem, you should still save it until you are 18. How, how, would, how would it is it that we, if we just inserted the word black in that conversation, in that comment... How would we feel by that comment? We would, be a, we would find it offensive. But I think members of the LGBTI community find that sort of comment offensive. Mm. For good reason. Benita Chick, what, what's your take on that? I mean, those people who sort of say, I don't want anything to do with that. Don't, don't get that near our young people. Keep it away from me. Oh, I, I really think the world is much diverse now and it's good for the students. Um, we are not trying to ban them or instill LGBT values on them, but we, to, the appreciation that the diversity exists, p- uh, people com- come with different gender identity, uh, sexual uh, orientation. Uh, uh, I, I don't think the job for, for any educators is, is to influence values, but we give them the, the facts and ask them to understand that it, it does exist. And going back to the earlier comment about like it's, it's, uh, the Bibles and all that, uh, I think if you look at all the, all, all the culture around the world, uh, whether it's China, India, different culture, LGBT have existed for centuries. It's not something, something new. Uh, you, you look at uh, in historical uh, uh, Chinese uh, dynasty, their empires, who have their gay male lovers mm. uh, and have that argument, right? Yeah. Uh, but and, well, what is contemporary China, mainland China, doing about um, this sort of uh, gender recognition or yes. discrimination? Uh, I, I'm not so much sure of the legal status, but at least I know, I, I think in, in, a year or two ago it's a little bit better in terms of the LGBT environment, in terms of the culture, the different the gay bar or the hyperated uh, it tolerance, but I've heard uh, from my mainland friends in, in, the, in the last two years, uh, the, the government has has cracked down on a little bit of the LGBT NGO and uh, and their work, uh, but I'm not sure legally has it changed much uh, in China. So, Mako, maybe you can answer. Well, that in, in 2013, yeah. China, both China and Singapore, were in advance of UK in relation to recognition of a trans person's right to marry and their acquired gender. So, if that's an indication of, of how it is, um, I, anecdotally, I've found that. Um, when there's been reporting in the press by the um, what are perceived to be pro-China press, it's been neutral, if not supportive, um, which is quite amusing, um, because it's it's just doesn't have that historical baggage that we have in Hong Kong um, with our with our <laughs> Victorian colonialist laws, and China just doesn't. It's not that issue. The issue in China is more organisation. They don't like organisations to be. Um, uh, active, but the actual issue, I, you know, I, I don't think it's a huge issue. All right, so some more uh, comments uh, from uh, listeners. 
Uh, Alan says, speaking as a cis male, so discount my opinion if you like, I find the expression of fear of trans people to be weird and repulsive. The idea expressed by many opponents of recognising trans people's choice of gender is that men are trying to use it to attack women, literally, or take advantage in some way. Asked to supply some real-world examples of this, they never can, despite millions of trans people passing for decades. Potential rapists don't put on a dress and heels and hide in toilets. The idea is absurd. It's a bogeyman by mostly conservative religious bigots to give them a pretext to discriminate. The comparison with whites in blackface uh, is just wrong. Uh, Jim, who emailed earlier, who says, uh, I have several relatives who have chosen to identify as female or call themselves opposite to their birth sex. That is their personal choice. I don't care about their personal lifestyles or what they do to their bodies. Why should anyone not in that community care? Yeah. Uh, G says, perhaps Jim can explain how he can say that he respects people and reconcile that with the rest of what he's saying. Uh, interesting. Um, and... Uh, Paul says, uh, back chat, listening to this conversation about gender fluidity, and, and perhaps, uh, Brenda Allegra, you might want to comment on this. Uh, Paul says, listening to this conversation about gender fluidity confirms that society is gently flushing itself down the lavatory. If gender is fluid, then that makes the LNG and the acronym LGBT offensive. The whole LGBT movement simply brings confusion. Sure, we should not be offensive to people with obvious psychological issues, but to accept it as normal is asking for trouble. That comes from Paul. Mr. Legray? Yeah, well, well, because there's really diversity in our identities. You know, there's diversity in our expression. And I will hark it back to what I said earlier, that in, in our pre-colonial times, we are as diverse as, you know, biodiversity. You know, that it's just true. It's just been erased over time. You know, like, that's why the two spirits um, are there to uh, retell the stories. The hijras are still there. They may have already been reduced in their um, social roles, but they are still there to tell the story. In our cases in the Philippines, um, the Babaylans have been partly erased, but uh, there's still a few of them that exist. That will remind us that our societies back in the day were indeed more accepting it, uh, and more, not even tolerant, they were more respecting of being two-spirit, of being gender diverse. So historically, we've been around for a long time. It, it's... Um, it's the colonial laws that have actually changed everything. And at the end of the day, this is about empathy. You know, if you don't know pain, then why speak about someone else's pain? If you haven't experienced being discriminated for your gender or gender identity or gender expression or your sexuality even. Okay, well, Brenda Allegra, many thanks for joining us. Lecturer in Gen Gender Studies Program at School of Humanities at the University of Hong Kong. Thank you very much to Michael Vidler, uh, a uh, solicitor, and uh, Benita Chick. Thank you very much indeed, founder and CEO of uh, Encompass uh, Hong Kong. Uh, just a couple more uh, on the topic. Polly says, Dear Backchat, thank you for having such a great discussion. I'm a straight Asian woman. I have straight gay and trans friends, and I'm proud to have such people to enrich my life. Sorry to hear there are many losers out there who don't have open minds. I suppose small thoughts fit easily in a closed mind but big thoughts require an open one good day that comes uh, from uh, polly jay says gay used to mean colorful and loud i like pink but wear pink i might be called gay but because the word has been hijacked by this group of people that is uh, from uh, Jay. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, as mentioned, we've got a few uh, emails uh, on uh, other topics just before we get to our second uh, main uh, theme today. Um, Andrew Kay says, On Gaza, in what world do you allow Hamas, a terrorist group, to launch missiles at you and not retaliate? Israel has every right to defend itself. The Palestinians, in inverted commas, have no status in this situation. If they don't like Gaza, they should go home. 
Ah, uh, okay. Paul says, firstly, I apologise for the death numbers. This is talking about COVID-19. Uh, however, what a ridiculous answer Benjamin Cowling has just given, saying that the measure has stopped things from being worse, is the same as saying that the stone in my pocket is what keeps snake bites down to a minimum. Each of the measures I outlined in my message were implemented a, a t along a timeline, not all at once, and there's no direct correlation between the implemented measures and the spread of COVID-19. Instead, COVID-19 has acted much the same as the seasonal flu. But now we have these experimental mRNA vaccines which do affect the DNA. And as they are still experimental, how can anyone possibly claim that no damage will be done by them? That is the words of Paul. I, as far as I know, Paul has no medical training and uh, his comments on mRNA and uh, DNA uh probably worth checking out for yourself uh dan says uh dear back chat it was sad to hear your pro-terrorist guest professor from australia reduce the tensions in israel and gaza to mere simplistic political expediences the situation ongoing for centuries is extremely exceedingly complex probably the most important question of all was never discussed does the palestinian leadership want peace does iran chief sponsor of terrorism in the region want peace the answer continues to be a solid no. The region will remain as a powder keg that can explode any time until they decide to become peacemakers like the Jordanians and uh, Egyptians. Tim says, when will the government wake up to the fact that it needs to enforce COVID vaccination? Uh, public awareness campaigns have failed. Vaccination rates remain shamefully low. The time has come to enforce a vaccine passport issue. After a three-month grace period, evidence of vaccination should be required for entry to all public buildings, entry to public transportation, shopping malls and wet markets. Stop pandering and start leading. That's uh, from uh, Tim. Uh, and uh, Gobax says, any broadcaster choosing to platform an anti-vaxxer this is with the subject line, Mike and the anti-vaxxers at this critical moment is totally irresponsible. It's not a debate. It's not providing balance. Were anti-voices given prominence during other public health or safety stories? How much credence was afforded the anti-seatbelt lobby back in the day? Or is this just tobacco and climate change all over again? That's from uh, Gobax. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, and Mr Pink will have to postpone, I think, your message uh, until, uh, until another day. Thanks very much indeed uh, for your contributions. We wanted to turn finally today to the issue of... Uh of uh, bus fares, uh, although uh, bus fares have been uh, increases, uh, have been uh, authorised, and we talked about them uh, on this programme um, earlier this year, one of the largest bus companies now says it wants the government to uh, change the system of approving fare adjustments for franchise bus services, saying that uh, they're suffering huge losses uh, and uh, the system as it stands is opaque, drawn out and unpredictable. This is uh, City Bus and New World First Bus. Uh, Alec Jane joins us on the line now, Managing Director of Trans Consult Limited. Good morning to you, Mr. Jane. Good, good morning, you. Thank you much indeed for, for for joining us. How? Uh, what's the situation now at the moment? How do we decide uh, the bus fares? How do we decide uh, when uh, who gets to set the bus fares? Well, bus fares are set by uh, you know the franchise conditions, but we are talking about the annual adjustments to the bus fares, and they are usually uh, I would say it's a bit of a random process at the moment. The bus companies have to submit the application to the government and who then uh, would, based on certain uh, non-transparent criteria, and it will then go to the EXCO and then they will approve a number. And nobody knows what that number is going to be. Uh, neither the bus company nor the public, so there is no explanation given about that number, you know, how they have derived that figure. So uh, there is a bit of confusion around how bus fares are adjusted on an annual basis or whenever the bus company submits, submits the application. And I think that is where the contention lies. Uh, if, 
in uh, contrast, MTR, companies like MTR, they have this annual, very transparent CPI and wage index driven um, adjustment systems. And I think bus companies have been demanding this for quite some time. The whole idea is uh, certainly not without merit uh, because uh, it creates a transparency, creates predictability for the business. But I think uh, the, the problem here is MTRC is a heavily regulated company and heavily transparent company with a system of penalties and whatnot. And if government ever or if the bus companies would like to have a very uh, formula-driven fare increase mechanism, they also would have to pledge uh, to provide a service which is really as per the schedule, as per the approved uh, you know, mechanisms, and there has to be a much higher degree of regulation. So I think it has to come hand in hand with higher regulation when they get a higher fare increases. So it has to work both ways in my opinion. Yeah, a lot of people are saying that uh, we are at an unemployment high and then uh, last year the bus companies have also received employment support scheme subsidies. Uh, so when it comes to increase it, should we take into you know consideration you know the uh, the economy? But obviously you said that uh, this is, t- is not a really transparent process. But but I can see that you know the trend of um, business uh, with uh, with with the purpose or with more public purposes uh, purposes is thinking about um, you know creating shared value with the community and having. Uh, you know, increase corporate social responsibility. Um, how does that um, sound, you know, with the bus companies? So what happened last year was, in my opinion, was a bit of an aberration. It was a force majeure, if you like, you know. Uh, and nobody expected that, and that was not really uh, a normal course of business for anyone for that matter. And uh, and obviously, government had to step in uh, in, in many uh, businesses, not just the bus operation but in many other businesses to, uh, you know, get things moving and keep things moving. So keeping that aside, I think in general, while the buses, uh, you know, we talk about corporate social responsibility, and indeed I fully agree with you, in any city around the world, the public transport has this shared responsibility towards providing, um, you know, facilities or services to minimum common denominator in the city. Uh, but in Hong Kong, we have very successfully mm, have relied on a commercial model of operation. It has worked reasonably well where the social welfare aspects have been disengaged from uh, the commercial operation of the services. So we do have a social welfare system. So there are transport subsidies provided by the government, but they are not linked to the fare mechanism of the transport operator. So which I think is a, in a way, it, it, does, it serves the same purpose but it delivers in a slightly different uh, manner. And considering that, I think if you look at bus companies as a, as a sustainable business, nobody will operate a bus op- company or bus operation in a city uh, at a loss, or no commercial entity would do so. And either government has to provide subsidies to them uh, to compensate for that, that losses, which, are, which most of the cities around the world do, or we have a Hong Kong, very successful Hong Kong model, where the bus, it's a totally non-subsidized operation and it's uh, driven by the fares. And the bus companies in Hong Kong are fairly, uh, I would say, efficient. Uh, um, but only thing is there are, there, are system, there are mechanisms in the franchise which prohibits them from making investments or delivering services at a notch higher than what public expects. You know, so improvements are slightly uh, frustrated 
because of the current mechanism. So I think that is where the value add uh, certainly lies uh, in, in terms of uh, social responsibility. Why, why are they suffering uh, at the moment? Um, a lot of people will say the buses are very full. Well, buses are full because they are running less buses. If you see how many buses are currently parked... Well, uh, there you go. That's a recipe for making more money, isn't it? Cut down, uh, cut down your services and increase the, the number, keep the same number of people. You should make a bigger profit. Well, not exactly. There are a lot of fixed costs there, you in, in any transport operation, like MTR or bus and bus operation. And these fixed operations like depots, like, uh, uh, you know, the, or the buses, for example, you have to, they bought the buses and they are just standing there. And this is a capital cost which is not being utilized. So they are trying to cut the operation cost. But a lot of fixed cost is still there, which doesn't go away, even though you have cut down some of the services. But this is, in my opinion, again, uh, looking at it in the context of COVID, the cutting of the services and making the buses too full was not really the right response. Instead, we should have gone the other way where uh, the fare system should have been robust enough to give them sufficient cushion uh, to the bus companies to sustain during this period. And at the same time, provide the same level of services that they were providing pre-COVID so that people, uh, you know, were not as packed inside the buses. Okay. Comment from uh, Carl on Facebook who says, let the government take over the bus companies. Public transportation is hard to make a profit. Even the MTR needs to rely on revenues uh, from uh, real estate. Uh, Anak Jain, many thanks for, for joining us, Managing Director of uh, Transconsult uh, Limited. Um, one more comment from uh, Jim uh, who says, uh, come on, Hugh, the movie Black Like Me showed a white person cannot truly live as a black person. And Jim says, yes, I respect all people. If a person practices a fad, I can dismiss the fad, but still respect the person. Thanks for that. Uh, Ada, thank you very much indeed uh, for uh, joining us. Uh, holiday tomorrow, so uh, no programme, but we're going to be back on, on Thursday and we're going to be talking about uh, C.Y. Lung and uh, his chances, uh, what's going on with him and uh, possibly being the next chief executive. The weather forecast, hot with sunny periods and a few showers. Isolated thunderstorms at first, temperatures up to about 32 degrees, 30 Celsius at the moment. Relative humidity is at 78%. Have a good hot holiday. Speak to you on Thursday. Many skin problems such as psoriasis, vitiligo, eczema, acne vulgaris, burn scars, and neurofibromatosis do not affect others. We need to be understanding and accepting so that those with skin problems will find greater happiness and confidence. Learn more about skin problems. Let's embrace differences and live in harmony. 34, the news now with Samantha Butler. Taiwan's top official in Washington, Xiaobi Kim, says she's negotiating with the United States for a share of COVID-19 vaccine doses that President Biden plans to send abroad. Taiwan has reported more than 700 new local cases over the past week and has received about 300,000 doses of the AstraZeneca jab for its population of more than 23 million. President Biden said another 20 million doses approved for use in the U.S. would be shared by the end of June. Joe Biden has voiced his support for a ceasefire after eight days of violence between Israel and Palestinian militants in Gaza. During a phone call to the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Mr Biden said the US was working with Egypt and others towards halting hostilities. And at least 20 people have been killed by the most powerful storm in decades to hit the Indian 